You are listening to the Wild Soul Podcast, a podcast for the wild ones. Join me, your host, Queen Namaste, as we embark on a journey to find our true north and our own unique path. From wild, inspired conversations to searching for life's hidden gems and meanings with a little dash of crazy in between. Because really, who doesn't want to dance to the beat of their own drum? Welcome and happy hump day. Welcome to the Wild Soul Podcast with your host, me. It's me, Queen Namaste or Shannon or whatever you want to call me. This is the Wild Soul Podcast where we talk about wild things, where we interview people from around the community, leaders, wherever they are, making a difference in the world. And we have fun here. So if you're new, welcome. If you're not, welcome back. Thanks for coming and listening to today's episode. Speaking of, I'm super pumped to have this guest on. And funny story, we have never met in person before. And we met through an Instagram group, which is kind of cool. Technology is cool in that way. Um, and I yeah, fell in love with her over the internet and she is just an amazing human from what I can tell so far anyway since we haven't actually physically met. But I have Katrina here on the podcast today and like I said we met through Instagram but the reason why we met through Instagram was because we were part of a recovery group. So she was a girl that really stood out to me out of about 20 of them in the group. And I wanted her to come on and share her story with you guys. Another cool thing about Katrina is that she doesn't even live in Canada. She is from the UK, has an amazing accent, and she's totally kicking butt over there. Katrina is also a recovering addict. She's a writer. She's a mental health advocate. And she just does it in style, you guys. She's so cool. One day we will meet in person And until then, we'll just have to keep doing some podcasts because she's going to do amazing things. And we're going to listen to her story in three, two, one. Let's do it. So you live in, do you live in Leeds? Is that where you live? I'm in Leeds. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know where that is. (laughs) Nor do I really. My geography is absolutely appalling. Uh, Yeah, I live in Leeds at the moment. I will be moving though to Bristol, which is like south, um, in end of July. But um, I found recovery in Leeds, so it's got a really special place in my heart. But um, it kind of got me on a bit of an equilibrium, and now I'm ready for the next thing. And it's kind of the first time in my life that I'm not running away from stuff, I'm running towards stuff. So that feels nice. Yeah. And it's actually planned, which is something I never used to do. So um, yeah. So in Leeds for a little bit longer and then off. Yeah. So were you, were you born in Leeds? No, I was born in, I was born in Manchester, which most people have heard of. Okay. Um, So I was born in Manchester and then I moved to Derbyshire when I was about six, seven um so that's where my family still are but then I moved around a lot in my life yeah which I now know is called a geographical so I just used to fuck up and run and thought if I change my location all my problems would go away and then I realized I was the problem so yeah took me a while to learn that (laughs) 
so okay let's just go let's get right into it like with um like because we met through instagram which is so cool mm -hmm. um but yeah. you are in i guess recovery right mm -hmm. yeah um so tell me a little bit of your story and like what led to that um, Sure. So, yeah, I think, I mean, all my life I recognise now that I used things to stop feeling feelings. Feelings were too much for me and I couldn't, I couldn't cope with them. I had to block them out. Um, and the things that I used to do that were self-harm, drugs, including alcohol, people, sex, um, anything really. And I, and I look back now and I know that that started for me about kind of age four because I used to put my hand into sort of hot food and drinks and things like that and I, I always had this sort of rage and frustration that I would feel that I couldn't couldn't convey to people um so I sort of turned it in on myself and disappeared and I started using when I was 11 um so started taking like using weed and then found alcohol which became my I'd say my best friend, but it was a very abusive relationship on both sides. Um, and yeah, kind of would use anything and everything. So if I was at a party, I was the girl that was up for seven days, licking out baggies, not able to go to sleep. Like fucking everyone's like, Kat, I think you need to go to bed now. I was like, no, no. Cause I was just, I didn't want to feel the come down for a start cause my mental health's never been amazing. And also I just didn't want to face reality. So kind of all my life, I knew that I was the one that always took it a little bit too far. But then I surrounded myself with people that did that. So it, it became the norm and it wasn't such a, you know, I couldn't really do an us and them comparison because my group, my tribe at that point were people that used to the excesses that I used. I was kind of gravitated towards those people. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I moved to London initially when I was 18. I got into a really good drama school there, but I was just completely crippled with self-obsession and my self-esteem was on the floor. So I quickly, it became me, you know, going to the shop of an evening after, you know, a 12 hour day and getting two bottles of red wine and just drinking until I passed out, you know, I'd wake up in my own sick, like, oh, fuck's sake, done it again. And then just have to go. And, and it was just, you know, it really started then, but I always was able to, to laugh it off, to hide things, to put a brave face on it. And um, people just thought I was, you know, the kooky wacky girl who would, they'd invite out because it was fun. Um, and then I came home, and I, so basically my biological dad was an alcoholic and my mum left him and he came to visit me till I was six months old and then just never showed up again. So I had these huge feelings of abandonment, really, really strong. Um, so I was always kind of looking for men for validation and my, my, my thoughts on sex, love, intimacy, all those relationships were very skewed from a young age and I found it really difficult to to understand what I was looking for from different people. And then um, my mum met my sister's dad, who became my dad, because he adopted me when I was seven. Um, and we, when I was about, so my parents' divorce I didn't handle well, as I don't think many people do. And um, we had a falling out because I was a young teenager and I had these feelings of abandonment. I kind of pushed him and he didn't come back. Um, he was there, but he, I think he had his own stuff going on. And, um, so 
basically when I got back from drama school, we started to forge a relationship again. And just as we did that, he then very quickly got diagnosed with a brain tumor and then he died six months later. So then I had this kind of knock on compounding effect of another dad's gone, you know? And I carried a lot of anger towards him actually, which was quite, quite difficult to process when you're, you know, you're angry at someone who's died and someone that's adopted you. And so I kind of fell then into like the drug scene quite heavily and it was all very sort of music led. So it was, it was a scene. So it was cool. And you were able to, you know, I was going to work when I did go to work and I was doing, you know, keys of drugs in the toilet after I'd been up for like four days and it was just wild and disgusting and horrible. And I was so, so sad the whole time. Um, and then I met this wonderful, wonderful guy who kind of was everything that I'd always wanted um, and was always there for me and never left my side. But I look back and I think actually he was slightly enabling in that way. But I did get off drugs, hard drugs. Um, but I drank a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And we moved to Vietnam together. So we went and lived in Vietnam for a couple of years. Um, and everyone was always like, oh my God, that must be amazing. But it wasn't, it was horrible. I was so, so anxious constantly. And it was just, all I did there was put myself in dangerous situations, drank, used drugs, got myself into many scrapes. And um, yeah, and then I, I kind of just spunked all my money on a trip back home because I was feeling really shit. So then he went away traveling and then we came back and then we went and lived in Rwanda for a bit. So did that. Um, and then I came back to the UK and we, I got a job in London and then we moved to London for a few years and I kept getting promotions and I had had really bad imposter syndrome. So I just, rather than think, Oh, I really aspire to what these people that I work with have. I thought, oh, fuck them. I'm so jealous of that. And I just didn't try. So I just thought that I could go on my people skills alone. <laughs> But then my people skills declined the more and more that I was just hungover, not doing my job properly. And I became a really awful person to work with and I just had no self-awareness at all. Um, and then I, I would always have breakdowns during my life and I would always need help. And I would run for the nearest kind of most immediate help that I could get. I'd get to a point and then I'd be like, I'm fine. And... I'd have very codependent relationships with people where I wouldn't tell anyone else that I wasn't okay. But I'd put all my baggage onto one person and I wouldn't unpack any of that myself. I just expect them to kind of hold it all for me. Um, anyway, and then I went to see a psychiatrist who said to me, we think you might have borderline personality disorder. And instead of listening to that, I just went, fuck you. And I just left work, left my boyfriend, left everything, um, was staying with friends. I then self-harmed really badly, was wandering the streets of London. I remember the last thing I remember was looking for used needles to stab myself with. So it was quite a low, yeah. Um, and then I was found in the doorway and then I got back to the house and they'd rung the police. And I remember swearing at them saying, you fuckers, are you, you know. Anyway, long story short, I got put on a train back to my mother's. And then I was just, uh, she described me as, like a runaway train when I was living there. I just had no self-awareness. I was just using 
copious amounts with copious amounts of people hiding it really well though you know justifying a bottle of vodka in the morning because i was having it in bloody mary's and then going for brunch was always my favorite because you could just get hammered straight away and then dinner with other people where i'd have wine and then i'd go for beers with different people so no one really knew apart from my poor mum the extent that this was happening and it just escalated and escalated and escalated until I did something that I was really ashamed of. And I couldn't remember the next day, but I knew I'd crossed a line with my mum. And I thought, I think I might be being thrown out on my ass here. I think mum's had enough. So I decided to quit drink and drugs. I was like, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop taking everything because I've been advised by medical professionals both for my physical and mental health my family my friends everyone's kind of implored me to stop and i did and i managed about a year and it was awful because all my coping mechanisms were taken away from me i was left with my head i was left with these feelings of sadness confusion grief and I was so confused and so hard on myself because I thought, well, you've done what everyone told you to do and now you should be fine, you know? But now what I realise is, you know, I had nothing else to put my energy into and I was still going out like I used to. So I was still going and doing all-nighters, but just on loads of caffeine. And even like holding mirrors for my friends while they're taking drugs off it and, you know, being like really like engaging in all that behaviour. But but then having like huge panic attacks because I was so anxious because I was so aware of everything. So then having to be kind of, you know, put into taxis and that I wasn't able to pay for because I wasn't working and all this sort of stuff. And then, um, so this kind of carried on and I, re and I at one point I self-harmed during that and that really rocked me because I'd only ever self-harmed when I was heavily under the influence before. And I was, and this carried on for years and it was, it was really quite severe self-harm and I was in and out of hospital. And I went to visit my sister who was living in Bristol at the time. And I was feeling great. I described it. I think it had a good two days. <laughs> I think, and I was like, yeah, I feel great. She was like, I feel great at the moment. And I said, oh, I think I might be all right to have a drink. And um, the rule was you have one drink. Because obviously my sister, she's seven years younger than me. My absolute love of my life. She saw, she knows me. You know, she said, okay, we can go for one drink. And she, neither of us understood addiction as we do now. And um, the minute I sipped this beverage, I was like, oh shit, I'm in trouble here. This feels fucking amazing. It was like this explosive numbness that just consumes me and, and the world was just better. And then I went and I made the next day just drinking cocktails and my sister doesn't even really drink and just getting wasted and then i went back home to my mum's and on the way i bought a bottle of vodka and i was hot and it was hid under the bed and i see this now as my free relapse because i would never have believed i think it's very easy i'll go on to this in a bit about when you're when you're an addict and you surround yourself with people it's very easy to to say oh, i'm different to that maybe i'm not maybe i can use in this way now that I've got a better understanding of myself and actually that showed me that I can't because <laughs> it was such it was so quick from one extreme to the other um so I was living with my mum I was in this crazy uh, I was just using tinder like I did drugs like it was insane I went on a tinder date to America 
I was also, it was, yeah, ridiculous. I went and I was in this kind of really, this relationship, this guy that I loved very much, but didn't ever dare tell him. And then I later found out that he really liked me, but we were both being dishonest because I just thought he's only going to want to hang out with me if I shag him. So I just shagged him loads. Um, and I kind of was like, right, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to leave this situation. I've got a job by that point. I got a job somewhere else in Leeds and I just came and I went and I, you know, had all these new people to manipulate into thinking that I was normal and I didn't have any issues with drugs, alcohol. And I made some good friends at work and it was great. And, you know, we would go to the pub every night and I would drink twice the rate everyone else did, but everyone just thought it was funny. And then, but they, what they wouldn't see was me then taking, you know, eight pint cans of strong beer, two bottles of red wine home every night with me and just drinking that in my room by myself. Um, and then I was really struggling with my mental health a lot. Um, and I was having to take a lot of time off work, which is a pattern for me. And um, I was just on my knees. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just having these reckless relationships with guys and I just didn't have any self-esteem and I was lost and I was struggling to find a reason to kind of go on. I never wanted to kill myself because I always had this weird kind of bit of a God complex. Like I always thought, you're destined for really great things. You're amazing. But then on the other hand, I was like, you're a piece of shit. You're worthless. So it was always this real kind of juggling of these two identities that I had going on. But, but I was finding it harder and harder to kind of not... Yeah, just to find a reason to go on, to be honest. And I rang this helpline and um, was speaking to this person. They suggested that I go to counselling one-on-one and they set that up for me in the next kind of couple of weeks. And they also said, they started telling me about um, a 12-step fellowship, which um, I hadn't ever heard of. I'd only ever heard of AA. Um, and I, I, never really, I never really disclosed in articles and things, but. I think people are here to listen to this. So I'm in NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous. And um, I pretended for the whole phone call that I knew what she was talking about. (laughs) And then I finally got the courage and I was like, what is that? What are you talking about? And she was like, oh, it's Narcotics Anonymous. And I think from reading a bit about your history, you could do with that because it kind of encompasses more things than just alcohol. So I said, cool. I found out when there was a meeting and I was meant to go on the Friday evening and I was at work and I was in the office. I was a manager at this point and um, I was in the office with the other managers and I was obviously quite stressed out and they, and I was quite open with them about it. I said, this is what I'm doing. I've sort of stopped everything. And they said, um, I said, I've got four hours until this meeting. You know, it's half three now. I finished work at half four and then like, the meeting's not till half seven and they just didn't get it. And, I, and, I, and they were like, it's only three hours, pal, it's fine. And I was like, no, you don't get it. And that pissed me off. That gave me enough of a reason to message this gross guy that I've been talking to on Tinder, meet him and go and drink a shitload. And it all got a bit seedy and a bit weird. And I got myself out of there and I got home. I don't remember how. And I remember this. I had this bottle of champagne that I'd been given in my fridge. So I got this bottle of champagne. I sharpened a knife. I went upstairs and I just went to town on myself in my room. And then the next thing I know, my friends, had, I'd, I think I'd, I'd been, I was meant to meet up with my pals. And then the next thing I know, I'm like on the floor um, and they are just sicking. 
and then they're like banging through my door with the ambulance people so then we get through get there finally get to the hospital and I was like leave leave I don't want you here I'm so sorry I shouldn't have put you through this and I waited and I fell asleep um and then the nurse woke me up and I just discharged myself so I just went home I got in an uber then I woke up the next day covered in blood and vomit and my housemate was so sweet I'll never thank her enough for this she just came in and um she just she was like right I'm going to my boyfriend's but come and sleep in my room she was like you can tidy this up another time she was like I've got Disney on my iPad she was like here's my card you can get some food if you need to you know and I just spent all my money on drugs and alcohol at this point and um it was so like the compassion that she showed me was just overwhelming and then that was on the Friday and then the Monday I had this counseling appointment and I was just like fucking hell I do not want to go to this but I got on that bus which was an hour outside Leeds and I think from that moment I realized how much I wanted this and I needed this and I went and spoke to this person and then I managed to get to my first meeting the following Friday and I was terrified absolutely terrified and I got there and one of my friends um, who I'm friends with now greeted me and I remember going in there and sort of being taken under the wing of these two wonderful women, one of whom is now my sponsor and the other one who did a main share at that meeting. And I, um, it was the first time I was ready to shut the fuck up and listen to what people had to say. Um, and I, I was just like, just, just tell me what to do. And I listened to this woman sharing about her life on, you know, on the streets and on heroin. And there was a lot of differences in our stories, but all I heard was the similarities and I got this identification and I got identification from everyone sharing back to her about their obsessions that they have and, and the way that they were talking about addiction manifesting in different ways. And I'd never really heard that before. They were talking about the fact that even though they have this clean time under their belts in which they've not used that, it comes out in other ways. And, and that these meetings are their medicine that help them. And that's the distraction that they have from that I didn't have before is, is working on yourself and bettering yourself. And um, it was a rough ride. Like it's, you know, for the first month, I, I really had to just reach out to people, which I've never done before. I had to sit on my hands a lot. I had to sleep. I had to eat. I had to distract myself with like fucking sagas long films and like just do anything. And I, and I got through it and then life became a bit easier. And I, attended meetings regularly I did close to 90 meetings in 90 days because initially I was like who the fuck do they think they are I've got a full-time job I'm new to this this is too much to ask of me and then I realized that I don't have to just do one extreme or the other or nothing um I can go to as many as I can go to so I probably went to about 70 meetings and um someone actually said to me very early on you know what lengths would you go to to get some alcohol or to get some drugs you need to put the same effort into going to meetings as you did with that and then that clicked for me and i thought yeah um and then i got a sponsor and that was amazing because i really struggled with um women for a long time because i couldn't manipulate women the way i could manipulate men do you know what i mean and it was like i uh, it really took me a long time to stop being a judgmental bitch and I, that was my excuse, you know, that was my go-to, like that was my anger defense coming out. Oh, these women aren't my kind of women. Because I only hung out with guys for the first kind of month or so. And um, 
And then I started getting these amazing relationships with women, which I think came from having this relationship with my sponsor. And she's helped me, you know, work the steps. And each step, for me, it's not about waking up in the morning every day, having that obsession to use. It's about me sorting my head out and my emotions and my triggers and my why I think in the way that I think and I now know that people are either addicts or they're not and I'm part of a tribe who self-identifies addicts and I hold that as um I'm proud of it I'm proud of it because I've figured it out and I'm doing something about it so with the steps it's all about you know looking back and looking at your part to play in things taking some ownership getting off your pity pot and just fucking sorting your life out basically and I'm now what are we on it's March so I'm now two years two months ish clean and sober yeah. well, I shouldn't say clean and sober I should just say clean but it's a bit naughty but yeah. um and life's like life's fucking hard life's difficult there's a lot of ways in which being out there and just you know disappearing down that rabbit hole was easier but um this is much better <laughs> it's amazing i've got confidence i have insight i have awareness i have love that i can give and receive which i didn't you know i had great relationships with people but there was always a point that it had to stop and now me and my mum like i'm often i'm called the most honest person and before i was honest in a bit of a bitchy way because I knew that I could just cut people down I was honest about other people I wasn't honest about myself and now I have both so I use those and I um yeah I've replaced a lot of things with kind of love and just sort of hope and faith and it's got me really far and a lot of hard work I think some people get into recovery and they think by association by osmosis just knowing people that are in recovery they're going to get well and it doesn't work like that, you know, you have to put the effort in. But for me, and I can only speak for me because that's the only experience I have, I would advise anyone to get themselves into a 12-step fellowship just because you can't do it on your own, I don't think. And I think as people, we're very proud. I'm very proud. It's a defect and an asset for me. And I am... Um, I didn't want to accept any help from anyone. But then when you start to kind of realise that these people know what they're talking about and they've walked the path that you've walked and you can ask them for advice and help on stuff, that's really great. And just having that support network and just, you know, being able to go into a room full of people and say something. If I said to some of my closest friends, they wouldn't know what the hell I was on about. And you just say it to these people and they just laugh and they're like, yep, yeah, same. You don't even have to explain yourself. I know what you mean. I do that too. Um... So yeah, I guess that's a really kind of concise yet rambling ex kind of talk about my experiences and, and how it led me to where I am, I guess. That was awesome. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that question. Are you so, are you, okay, <laughs> since I'm like new to this whole thing, I've yeah. never done like a meeting before and you're like saying 12 steps. So like once someone's mm. done like 12 steps, does that mean like you do all the steps again or like what happens so my understanding is that in aa you would do uh the 12 step once and then you do uh kind of what's known as an inventory so you would top it up and you'd kind of work on it that way 
in NA that I'm in, I've gone the hardcore route and I'm very glad I have because I need to kick up the arse because I can talk my way out of loads of shit. So with us, you, you do it again. And I think the benefit of that for me is going to be, you know, for example, my step four was about resentments. And I might have been in a place when I did that, that I wasn't willing to let go of a few of them. So the next time it comes up, I'll be in that place where I can really kind of get into that stuff. And similarly with step eight and nine, which is making amends, there might be some amends that I didn't feel I was able to make or knew that they wouldn't want me to make at this point that next time round might be ready. Do you see what I mean? And there's always, I think, you know, you've lived in between each one. So there's always stuff that's going to come up and it's not necessarily stuff that you did when you were in, you know, what's known as active addiction. It's the way that your behavior is manifested and maybe you've acted out in a bit of a twattish way that comes from being an addict, but you didn't kind of check yourself about that you might need to apologize for next time, you know, things like that. So I know that, yeah, as, as far as I know that from my friends that are in other fellowships, it's AA is once but you kind of keep checking in and then NA is uh you kind of just go around and do it again but I can't speak for that I mean there's, there's so many 12-step fellowships for so many different things now which is amazing but it all springs from from AA so yeah for me I'll just keep going keep going around congrats on two years that's amazing thank you yeah it felt good yeah did you like I guess when you were talking about your first time like your year and you said it was like really hard and lonely like do you did you experience that again the second time around or like were you ready or I think I think there's a couple of things I think the first time the reason that I stopped is because of fear that everyone was leaving me that I didn't that if I didn't stop this now I would have no friends and no family and I was doing it for other people. Whereas this time around, I was doing it for me. Um, and I think that immediately it was a different attitude that I was coming in for. So I was, I was hungry for it. I was just supported from, the, from day one of going into that meeting room. I was just supported by people who just kept saying to me, keep coming back, pick up the phone. Um, and having that support network from the off made it all so much easier. Don't get me wrong, the first kind of month was, it was horrific because it was all I could think about was wanting to stop these emotions. And someone once said to me, the best thing about being in recovery is you get your emotions back. And the worst thing about being in recovery is you get your emotions back. And it's so true. Um, but this time around was a completely different experience and it was a lot easier and I, I wouldn't, I know that I wouldn't be in I wouldn't be clean now if I wasn't in recovery because I also had what I now know are called um, reservations um in that when I wasn't drinking before I was like well if this happens then that's my then I'll then I'll drink loads then I'll disappear down the rabbit hole and for me it was my sister it was always if something happens to my sister then I'm just going to kind of go back to how I was because it's an excuse to just disappear into darkness again and um I then found that where that was leading me and making me feel like a really awful person is I was wanting bad things to happen to people and to me so that I had an excuse to kind of just have an out um whereas now if something were to happen to my sister the thought of that makes me feel sick but if it were you know we have such a fucking amazing relationship we always have but it's beyond now and i respect her so much and she respects me for this that 
I would do my utmost to to not do that, you know. But I think that being in recovery and having that support, there's nothing like it because everyone just gets you. Like the first time I was in a meeting and I heard that, I had the most emotional response I've ever had in my life because I was just like, oh my God, these people understand me. These people understand me because I never felt that from anyone before. And you know, I'd have concerned friends and family and I'd be trying to explain to them and they're just, and even doctors and just like, why, I don't get it. And I just sat in front of these people and they just, they just understood. And I think that's why it works is you're learning from, you know, it's not someone sat there saying, I think you should probably do this thing. It's people going, mate, I feel you. I've walked the same path as you and I can show you how to do this and how to get better. And like I said, it's about once you start realizing that you have the ability to transform your life, enjoy it more, and become someone that you can love. That's addictive. That's what I'm addicted to now. You know, I'm addicted to to bettering myself, to self improvement, and that's what I get from the steps now. And uh, going to meetings is—I can tell if I've not been to a meeting in a few days. I start getting really ratty, start being a bit of a dick. The voices in my head, judging what people are wearing or doing, get louder. And I get, and I might start to isolate myself or like all these things start to happen. And then I go to a meeting and I just share about that and I feel better. So yeah, yeah. Um, you have, uh, when you said that the doctor said you had a personality disorder, that's what you said? Yeah. Do you have that? So I'm currently discovering that at the moment. Yeah. So I've been diagnosed with loads of things in my life. So one is, um, one that I'm undergoing treatment for at the moment is something called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So basically um, my body can't handle the change in hormones around my period. So I get, it's like PMS times a billion. <laughs> So I like I go up a dress size. I have different clothing that I wear. I I cannot stop. Like it's just swelling. I can't stop eating. I get so depressed. So over the space, this kind of builds up, and then over the space of a week, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until I have a one or two days where I can't get out of bed. I can't talk. I can't make eye contact with people. I can't. I just will go from just crying horrendously to just feeling this complete all-consuming apathy. There's just nothing there. I just feel like a hollow shell of a person. Um, so there's that that I'm having treatment for at the moment, which is um, they basically put me into a medically induced menopause to kind of shut everything off and then put in more consistent hormones to see if that works. So I'm going through the menopause. Wow. It's the second time this has happened because they fucked up the treatment last time. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that. And then there's the BPD stuff, which I'll be honest with you, this is the first time I've spoken openly about it and there's so much stigma around it. And um, I was a very, very, very typical case at that time in my life when I was self-harming, being sexually deviant like all these things um and now that I've kind of sorted myself out a bit it's um I've got an appointment with a psychiatrist coming up if it is what they find to be honest I tick all the boxes 
Um, and I've done a lot of reading into it and my friend was diagnosed with it and I was just like, oh God, that's me. <laughs> um, I kind of want it to be because similarly with my recovery, I'm not like ready to grab it by the balls and tackle it if this is what's going on. Um, and it's also the only personality disorder that you can, can sort out. So there's this amazing woman who has it herself. She's come up with um, DBT. Because I, I remember going for CBT when I was younger and hating it, like walking out. And um, apparently people that have BPD, CBT, my God, there's so many friggin' acronyms here. Um, they, it's hard because it's you going, well, you shouldn't be feeling those things. So let's feel these other things. And immediately you feel dismissed. Whereas DBT is, right, you've had this trauma happen in your life. No fucking wonder that your, um, your brain is firing off these really extreme feelings. Um, we're going to manage that and we're going to try and shift that and change that. Um, so if that is the case, it's kind of like three years of one-on-one -on -one and then group work, like, so two times a week. But I am jumping the gun. But as I do with these things, I just, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely what I've got. I'm just going to self-diagnose. I'm going to do all the research into it. Um, but yeah, like I say, like, I think I, I've really struggled with it recently, though. It did knock me for six thinking that I might have this just because of all the stigma that people attach to it. Um, and there's other stuff that I've, you know, that I'm coming to terms with that I never spoke to anyone about in my life, um, that I'm, that I'm grappling with. And it's stuff that my step work's brought up for me. Um, and I sat in the most amount of pain I have ever, um, about a month ago in recovery, because I was dealing with the breakdown of my relationship from five years ago, nearly. And I only just started... I only experienced that breakup last month wow. from nearly five years ago. And I was just, I was a mess. Like I was just crying for like eight hours at a time. I made a playlist of all our songs that I put on repeat. I was, you know, it was just like, I was fully in it, but I realized, you know, of course you haven't dealt with it because you've just gone along with life and distracted and distracted and distracted and, and pulling that stuff up was, um, was really tough and then it kind of I think that's what brought up it was very it was very serendipitous actually as my friend was kind of diagnosed with it all my stuff started coming up about why did I leave London what led to my breakdown and it was a bit like oh shit yeah and then and then I um had all these kind of physical and emotional things going and I just went to the doctor and I just said I need some help this is like quite a lot to take on so um yeah watch this space whether or not I've got BPD. Uh, border, BPD, borderline personality disorder? Yes, yes. Do you like, do, normal, do doctors prescribe you pills to, for that or do they actually make you work on it without pills? So it's mainly like uh, therapy, therapy stuff. Yeah, there's, there are, there's kind of psychosis that can come with it and things like that as well, which I think then you would be. But um, I, uh, I'm still a very um, impulsive person. I used to say spontaneous because it sounds more romantic, but I'm really fucking impulsive. And I'm also very easily influenced, which I hate. And I think a lot of people, yeah. And I think a lot of people that would meet me would be like, no, you know yourself so well, but people that really know me know that literally I'm just like, yeah, that's a great idea, I'll do that. So I watched this documentary called Heal 
on Netflix. Have you seen it? Everyone's telling me to watch it. Okay, well, be careful if you're on any medication because I watched this and I was like, yeah, man, just feel shit. You should just feel it all. I'm going to come off my medication I've been on for five years. Like, I'm just going just gonna to come off. So I've halved my meds of my own accord. And I'm all right. I'm all right. But I'm also like, I'm now doing it with the doctor as well. But what the, the funny thing is, I told a couple people in recovery who I now know both have got BPD to watch this without me knowing. And they both sent me messages saying, I've come off my medication. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, no. And I was like advising them against it. But like, okay, well, if you're going to do it, let's all just do the same thing. Let's just speak to our doctor first. So then I spoke to the doctor about it. And he was like, yeah, we can have you. Because we'd had, me and the doctor had, had kind of mutterings about this happening anyway. Um, it is a great documentary though. I think it's um, really interesting in that it talks about the physical uh, manifestations of trauma, which um, I think people get to a varying degree. You know, we say, oh, I'm stressed. It's probably stress, but we don't really look into that. Um, so I would recommend it, but I'd recommend if you're someone that's easily influenced on medication, take heed. Don't just come off your medication. <laughs> Um, okay. I want to watch it. Good yeah, do it. So, what what do you do now? So you're clean, sober, two years, and yeah, yeah you are uh, public speaking stuff. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I basically I left work. Um, I didn't want to because I like working very hard. I get a lot out of it, and I um, but with this treatment that I had, it made me really ill. I was off work for about a month and a half couldn't get out of bed it was just horrible and then I just decided to kind of juggernaut straight back into full-time work and my mental health was just it really taken a hit and um I was really trying and I just you know got to the point where I was being physically unwell at work you know in secret and then getting caught out and having to be sent home but I needed the hours and eventually for the first time in my life I decided to go on benefits um, so in this country, we are blessed with the fact that you can, um, stop work and they will give you enough money to kind of live on. Initially, it was not enough money to live on, but I then applied for more. Um, and, uh, so I'm not working at the moment, which my pride can't really handle. It hates telling people that, but I'm not, I'm giving myself some time out. And what I'm basically trying to do is build some kind of momentum with work so that when I do go back into full-time work I've got the rumblings of something happening or I can just go straight into that so um I'm going to be doing freelance writing so I've already written a few articles about celibacy and recovery self-harm um being in a 12-step fellowship um and they've gone down really well I've done some work for um ITV and channel four back here um and I do stand-up comedy so I run a stand-up comedy night here which I'm going to be taking to Bristol with me I did a actually did a slot at a night last night that went really well um it's very dark stuff so like my set last night was about people hanging themselves in abortion you know the light stuff the really light stuff people laugh so it sort of seems to be going quite well um so I do that and I do a lot of comparing like me and my friends are in um uh, we have a group called PMS, which is Party Moms Society. Nice. So we host drag nights and things like that. And I compare those and um, 
yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing that at the moment. So yeah, and I'm going to be setting up a website because I'm also going to be podcasting yeah. and doing some blogging. I'll get you on next time. Um, doing some blogging and um, also some kind of like poetry, and, which I always think sounds, the moment I hear someone say that, I think, oh my God, it's like hearing someone say, I do improv, you know, you're just like, no, I don't want to engage in that. But it's not sort of wafty bullshit. It's, you know, things that I think when it's three in the morning and I write down. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm doing that really. Um, and yeah, writing is, is, is the goal. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Honestly, like milk this time. Like that is amazing mm. to like do your yeah. own thing and create. Like that's what we're here to do. For right? sure. Yeah, so, definitely. Oh, that's so cool that you do stand up too. I would literally be scared shitless. <laughs> I would not really. Oh, I always am, but it's great. Yeah. 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 Oh, gosh. Um, and you're talking about writing about celibacy. Have you been celibate since your recovery? Fuck no. Oh. No, I was celibate. <laughs> I was celibate for so I was celibate for 12 months. Um and then I got into a relationship with someone that I'd been into a relationship in a relationship with prior to recovery. And we'd kind of reconnected and because I wasn't a mad bastard anymore, it was working really well. But um he He's 38 and never been in love. I think that says enough. So he wasn't really willing to kind of drop that war and I needed that. So for the first time I was like, do you know what, I need more than this. And then I kind of got into dating, dating that complete asshole. So then took like six months out of dating, then kind of went into it again, then went off again. So what I'm now able to do is take sustained periods of celibacy for like three months, six months, you know, and it not be an issue for me, which before, forget it. <laughs> I needed a cock to make me feel better about myself. I didn't even enjoy it. I just wanted someone to adore me for, if I was lucky, 40 minutes, you know? So um, it's, that was the hardest thing for me, pardon the pun, um, after stopping drinking and taking drugs, was, was not engaging in that behavior with guys and not just, you know, hookups, um, which I would become obsessed with and I'd be like, I'm going to marry you now. But it would be that engagement of, you know, people sliding into the DMs or someone that you meet on a night out and you know they've got a girlfriend, but you send them a message. And, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. I just, had, it took me, in my first 90 days, I thought, no, no, like every addict I know in recovery, I'm different. I'm going to be in a relationship with someone I didn't want to be in a relationship with because I was still a huge people pleaser. Four days later, I was like, yeah, really, this is wrong. So I, um, from that time, yeah, I was completely celibate and I, and I stopped messaging people back. Um, and just kind of, it was, it was a total man ban, really. And only now, like, you know, I'm still learning how to date, but I was on, I'd gone on Bumble because I thought Bumble was a bit fancier than Tinder. Then I realised that I was just kidding myself. So I just switched Bumble for Tinder. I was on it for two days and then my heart just wasn't in it. I just ended up taking the piss out of all these guys who didn't know what I was on about. And I was like, nah, the only reason I'm using this, I've realized is because I'm being bored. In an evening when I'm bored, I'm not with friends, I'm just messaging them and I don't actually have any, any intention of meeting them. So I just thought, do something more productive, read a book yeah. and don't, it's not fair on them. You know, they think they're on this app for, um because they want something more potentially and you're just on here to waste their time but i'm very good at making friends on dates 
that's my new thing is I'll go on a date and I'll be like, do you want to just be friends? So I've made some good pals out of it. But yeah, celibacy, and like I say, not engaging in those behaviours, I would strongly recommend because it meant my self-esteem was built up from nothing. And I couldn't have done that unless I sat and rid through, sort of rode through those needs to talk to men in the same way I needed to have that drink, you know? Um, so yeah, I'd highly recommend it, but it, it's really tough again. But as are things that you get out of, so. Katrina, your story is crazy. Thank you for like sharing and just all, being like super vulnerable and open about everything. Honestly, like the world needs more of that, you know? Yeah, man, agreed. People are dealing, people are dealing with so much shit, like, and mm. if they can listen to this and be like, oh my God, me too. Like, not mm. yeah. no hashtag. Yeah, no hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So awesome. That's so cool. Anything else that like, you want to share that they didn't that you didn't get to share i don't know i just feel bad that i haven't asked you anything about oh, you supposed to. <laughs> but i will we'll, we'll we'll chat and you can come on my podcast when i finally pull my finger out my ass and get one going yeah what's yeah. stopping you um well it was just because i'm technologically inept but now i have a woman who's uh, i put a little shout out on instagram who's going to help me which is big up vicky thank you for that nice. um what I mean, what I would say is I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about recovery and I'm passionate that I now know that there is kind of a solution to, to getting help. And I, I would say that I'm my, I, even though my DMs are closed to fuck boys, they're very much open to people who might need a bit of help and advice when it comes to recovery. So if you are listening to this, like check out my insta which is um very long but i'll say it anyway so it's katrina underscore e underscore lawrence and that's lawrence with a w um and if you've got any questions just please slide on in them and i can i can help kind of guide you and just kind of let people know what support they can get really um yeah. but yeah just uh thank you for having me really it's been yeah, really lovely yeah. I saw your all your Instagram videos and I'm like, this chick is cool as shit. She's so real and she just says it like it is in her videos. So I'll link your I'll link you on Instagram and everything so people can find you and follow you. Bless you. That's lovely. Thank you. So nice to meet you. You too. Yeah, so weird. Technology is so weird. <laughs> it's a bit good, isn't it? Awesome. I'm always baffled. I'm like, oh yeah, let's just hang out on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Katrina, thank you so much for meeting me and um thank you for sharing your story thank you thank you <laughs> i guess i'll see you soon i should come yeah over. definitely yeah. we'll have another chat yeah for sure good luck with your podcast and don't let that stop you because i don't know anything and i'm still doing it so you're doing a damn fine job you have inspired <laughs> me amazing <laughs> wicked oh thank you so much that was today's episode. Thank you for listening. If you guys enjoyed any of that episode at all, would you leave a comment or a review or a rating for this podcast on iTunes? That would mean so much to me. It helps new podcasts get seen by, or I guess heard by more ears. So if you'd like this podcast, leave it a review. Thanks for coming. And if you know anyone that is super wild, super cool, that would 
love to be on the podcast or share their story, hit me up. You can email me at shannonpetersfitness at gmail.com. You can visit my website at queennamaste.com or find me on Instagram, the wild soul podcast or queen.namaste. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. I'll see you next week. Stay lit y'all.